0: X-Talks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This food industry-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to help keep you up to date. This week on the show, we're discussing a link between ultra-processed foods and premature death. And scientists urging the FDA to ban the red three-color additive. Enjoy the show.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the X Talks Food Podcast. I'm Sydney Perlmutter, senior food industry journalist and webinar moderator at XTalks.com. And this week, I'm joined by Aisha Rashid and Vera Kovačević. Thanks for coming today. So, we have a bit of a damp, uh, you know, a bit of a damper um, over the food industry with the two stories that I'm going to be talking about today, but they are very important, so I figured that, you know, we should talk about them, Um, and I'm especially interested in getting both of your opinions since you are in the science space with these stories as well. So, firstly, a new study came out recently that suggests that consuming too much ultra-processed food, including some of the best in my opinion, chips, hot dogs, ice cream, and soda, yeah. can have consequences beyond obesity and high cholesterol. So what can be worse than that, you might ask? Well, premature deaths. So since highly processed foods have become more prevalent in recent decades, researchers are still trying to you know, figure out and understand the full impact of these dietary shifts. But this study, which was published uh, last week in the American Journal of Preventative Medicine, examined how the intake of ultra processed foods was associated with premature preventable death. Researchers found that the consumption of such foods may be attributed, uh, may be the attributable cause uh, of death and significant percentage of deaths in the Brazilian population. So the study's authors hope that their finding. Their findings establish the importance of reducing the intake of such foods to minimize health risks. So now I'm just going to talk about a little bit why ultra-processed foods are linked to premature deaths and what ultra-processed foods are. So we know this. Many foods go through a certain amount of processing so that they don't spoil. However, ultra-processed foods contain more artificial ingredients than those that just have added salt, sugar, or oil. They usually have very few whole ingredients um, and contain flavorings, colorings, and other additives. And sometimes these um, these ingredients aren't even to uh, you know prevent the food from spoiling they're just for added uh, color um, they serve no nutritional purpose whatsoever so energy bars and energy drinks instant soups ready to heat products like chicken nuggets and s- sweet or savory packaged snacks like cookies typically fall within this categories and like I said some of the tastiest foods it's it's very upsetting but um Dr. Eduardo Nilsson, who was a nutrition researcher at the University of Sao Paulo and the study's lead author, told NBC News that the ultra-processed foods that contribute the most to daily calorie intake are mass-produced breads, cakes, and pies, margarine, salted crackers, cookies, meat products like ham, hot dogs, and hamburgers, pizza, and sugar-sweetened beverages. The full um, health implications of highly processed food consumption are still being studied, but some research indicates that eating processed foods decreases diet quality and increases the risk for health problems like high blood pressure, obesity, and heart disease. So now in terms of you know linking the two together, the new study specifically looked at the number of deaths in the Brazilian population and their relationship to the intake of ultra-processed foods. So first, researchers looked at national food consumption in Brazil from 2017 to 2018, and then they looked at this information considering data on demographics and mortality from the following year in 2019. And then depending on age demographics, Brazilians were getting between 13 and 21 percent of their total energy intake from ultra-processed foods. Researchers looked at uh, the 541,160 people between the ages of 30 and 69 that died in 2019, and their analysis showed that consuming consuming ultra-processed foods was responsible for 10.5 percent of all premature deaths in this age demographic. The researchers further noted that ultra-processed food intake was responsible, was responsible for 21.8% of all preventable deaths from non-communicable diseases. So based on their findings, researchers estimated that cutting down energy intake from ultra-processed foods by 10-50% to 50% of current amounts could greatly help reduce these mortality rates. Dr. Nilsson added um, in the study, along with the co-authors, to our knowledge, no study to date has estimated the potential impact of ultra-processed foods on premature deaths. Knowing that the deaths attributable to the consumption of these foods and modeling how changes in dietary patterns can support more effective food policies and might prevent disease and premature deaths. So, you know... Upon, you know, reading this study and writing about it, none of this information really surprised me. But now we have an actual study uh, with the numbers that that shows, you know, that that this is an actual problem. And we've talked about many ways, um, you know, that a few weeks ago we talked about how the FDA was thinking of uh, reforming uh, food packaging labels to try and encourage people to eat more healthy Um but you know, in the case of ultra-processed foods, these foods are are so ingrained um, in in many people's diets. I mean, myself included. Hopefully, not to the extent um, that it would cause premature death. But do you think that there that most people understand? You know, the the health risks of consuming these foods at mass, or um, or no? And does this, and does this study, you know, the study surprise you any of the numbers, um, or anything?
2: Yeah, I definitely think, um, everybody knows that ultra processed foods aren't healthy, you know, um, like chips, ice cream. I mean, it's fine in small amounts. Um, but if it's, most of someone's diet, I would say that's not good. But with this study, I was very surprised that, that, you know, it said Brazilians were getting between 13 and 21% of their total energy intake from ultra-processed foods. Now, I didn't think that, like, you know, a fifth or even a tenth is so mm-hmm. dangerous to cause premature death. <laughs> you know, like, what is that percentage that is... Okay, that that's what I'm wondering. And I guess that's going to take many years, maybe even decades to determine. But I was surprised that even 13% of energy intake, if it's from ultra processed foods, that's bad. Because remember, ultra processed foods, they tend to have a lot of calories, like they tend to, um, if you eat them, you're probably going to get a lot of your energy intake that day from them, right? So I thought if it was like 50% of your diet is ultra-processed foods, that's bad. I didn't think like 13% may be a cause of concern.
3: Yeah, that just goes to show you that uh, how harmful, um, yeah, to you, Vera, like in terms of uh, these foods might be more harmful than we think they are and that even, you know, 13 to 21% is what they found um, Brazilians were getting uh, or, or we're obtaining their total energy intake from ultra processed foods that even that that is too high and that that has a significant impact on premature death so I think we some of us may have um underestimated the the impact of ultra processed foods, and I actually thought that was a pretty high percentage like for people to be getting um, their total energy intake um, from ultra-processed foods. So that's like, yeah, over 10% to like a fifth of their diet is coming from ultra-processed foods, which I thought was pretty high just from a dietary perspective. But again, I don't know what the eating habits are like in Brazil and the availability and the um, pricing of uh, this type of food is there. So it just might be more accessible. Not to say it's not <laughs> accessible in the in places like the U.S. But um, um, again, it just goes to show, like Sydney, you were saying, we probably already knew this. You know, junk food, ultra-processed food, it's not good for us. But just how not good for us is something that this study uh, definitely ex- ex- exemplifies. And um, the other thing that was also interesting to me is that um, – now, this study is not, again, it's it's an association, right? So, so as we know, association does not imply causation. So I think this is a good start, but we definitely need to see more follow-up studies to, to really pinpoint, you know, let's say the specific specific ingredients that are um, harmful. For example, like in a chocolate bar, you have, you know, the sugar component and then you have the artificial flavoring. So what specific components can be or more um, harmful than others or are there any specific ingredients that um, should be more concerning than others. So I think we do need those kinds of functional and mechanistic studies to follow up on this very important um, first base kind of a study um, which does give us um, a starting point to investigate further in terms of what certain ingredient, ingredients and patterns are, are detrimental um, and that could lead to premature death. So yeah, and again, like all of these uh, foods that you mentioned, they're so ubiquitous in supermarkets, like packaged cookies and chips and again if you're having them once in a while that's fine but i think to have them as a regular part of your diet like in this case in brazil as uh the study was outlining i think that becomes very problematic
1: yeah that's a really great point because you know as as much as the study uh, really like villainizes ultra processed foods is, is that was, I guess, the goal. We, we don't know about the rest of their lifestyles either. Mm. I mean, you know, we don't know how much exercise they got or, or just other factors that could, you know, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They do tend to adjust
3: for those kinds of variables. Mm. So like age, gender, physical Mm -hmm. activity. So I'm pretty sure they did all of that analysis in, in, Mm. in that, but again, um, it's hard to say though, right? Um, unless you have those really mechanistic studies showing a direct link, a cause and effect. So um, but yeah, it's it's uh still concerning and it's it's a very important study though. Yeah, it really
1: had me questioning, you know, what approximately a percentage of my diets of my diet. Yeah, was right. Made it makes you from... wonder. Yeah. It's like I may have it... a chip
3: here, I may have a cookie here, uh-huh. but like
1: it adds up, right? I, I guess so, yeah. um, and I, I feel like a lot of things that people would associate with with being healthy, like bread from the grocery oh my store. Goodness.
3: I was just thinking that one too. Who yeah. would who would yeah. really think
1: yeah. that that is like an ultra processed? Oh, I should mm-hmm. really avoid that. People eat toast every day. You know, it's know. like you're, you're you're right. Like so many of these foods are ubiquitous. We can identify the really unhealthy ones, like cookies and chips. But but yeah, when it's like bread, hamburgers, um, pizza.
2: It's,
3: yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, hot, well, hot dogs, hot, I think um, we, yeah, yeah.
1: we, we know those are
3: bad, but <laughs> yeah, like, bread and, is a and big I, one because I feel like, yeah, now I personally like to switch over to more bakery style breads or go to like a maybe a smaller bakery that I know is making bread fresh every day and that doesn't have the preservatives and uh, addings that um, store baked or store-bought breads have so i think yeah i think people do fail to realize that um, stuff like bread like it's an everyday thing and like it is so processed yeah it's i I think you know we're, we're not in the
1: factories where these you know foods are being produced but I, you know, I, I'm also very curious to know like what specific mm-hmm. component or components of the production uh and, and ingredient adding process is 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 what's you know, what, what is uh the association here? Um is it multiple additives? Is it is it certain colorings, mm-hmm. which coincidentally I'll be talking about in the next <laughs> story, but that's such a good point. Like we we, we don't wanna villainize like this entire uh, you know, area of food, if it's kind of just like one or two things that are really Mm -hmm. the major issue. We all know that we should be eating relatively healthy and, and eating uh, ultra processed foods in moderation. But yeah, I, this story, this study can definitely be like misinterpreted and, and, um, some, some of the elements of it were a bit surprising to me as well, but, Um, Yeah, excellent, uh, excellent points you're both making. And I'm going to think twice again when I, you know, walk past the bread aisle. (laughs) That bread man (laughs) Mm is going to get you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So moving on, very similarly, um, in the U.S., um, it is against the law to use... um, red 3 color additive um, in cosmetics like lipstick or blush or topicals but this controversial and carcinogenic chemical also known as erythrazine, can be found in common varieties of candy corn double bubble chewing gum laffy taffy nerds peeps pez sweet tarts and hundreds of candies cakes and other foods which is really shocking to me when I read that. And that is why the Center of Science in Public Interest, or the CSPI, sent a petition to the FDA. It was co-signed by more than a dozen organizations and prominent scientists, including the Environmental Working Group, seeking to remove RED3 from the permanent list of color additives approved for use in uh, the food and dietary supplements uh, for use in ingested drugs and for use in ingested drugs. So the petition stated that the FDA has already found that this color additive causes cancer in laboratory animals, and subsequent studies and reviews have reinforced that conclusion. Furthermore, we urge that the FDA take immediate action to prohibit uh, the use of this carcinogen, as there is widespread exposure to U.S. consumers, particularly children, and new information indicates that very young children have the highest exposures. So like all synthetic food dyes, Red 3 adds no nutritional value to food and it is used solely to make it look more appealing. Previous red dyes have been banned for use in uh, the food and beverage industry due to cancer concerns, including Red 1, which was banned in 1961, and Red 2, which was banned in 1976. And I think also Red 4 was banned uh, at some point in the 80s. But Red 3 remains legal and is still used in everything from sausages to maraschino cherries. So since the early 1980s, uh, the FDA has had evidence that Red 3 causes cancer in laboratory animals, and the National Toxicology Program considered this evidence convincing. As a result, in 1990, the agency eliminated certain provisionally listed uses of the chemical, meaning cosmetics and externally applied drugs. That same year, the FDA also said it would take steps to ban um its use in food, ingested drugs and supplements. However, those steps were never taken. So even though the FDA concluded that Red 3 has been linked to cancer, food and beverage companies continue to use it widely. A search of Food Scores, which is a database maintained by the Environmental Working Group, generated nearly 3,000 brand-name food products that contain Red 3, including some varieties of Betty Crocker's Fruit by the Foot, Entenmann's Little Bites, and Hostess's Ding Dongs. Red 3 is also used to simulate the presence of a more desirable ingredient like saffron. Um, So while saffron yellow rice does contain some saffron or a specific brand of it, it gets at least some of its color from Red 3. Even PediaSure Grow and Gain Kids Ready to Drink Strawberry Shake contains Red 3, but no actual strawberries. Uh, Now, this is the CPSI's first time petitioning RED3 uh, specifically, but the group unsuccessfully petitioned the FDA to ban all synthetic food color additives in 2008. And while the group awaits response, its it's advice to parents is to avoid not just RED3, but all numbered dyes such as Yellow 5 and RED40. Besides the risk of cancer posed by RED3, concerns have also mounted about the adverse impact on children's behavior. Behavior, which I won't even get into in this story but um, yeah I mean did you know uh, about red three um, it's it's linked to cancer um, and how you know do you find it concerning and, and confusing that it's still um, allowed to be in food but it's not allowed you know to be in in cosmetics?
2: Yeah I never heard of red three specifically. Um, of course we all know like artificial food coloring exists and it's used. Um me and Sydney were just talking the other day like we don't know why it's used if there's like natural or alternatives but okay it's cheap uh, yeah thank
1: you <laughs> cheap and widely available yes that's why unfortunately yeah
2: it's cheap okay so all right it's cheap um but yeah i find it strange how it's um it's either like ban it for everything that's human use or keep it for everything that's human use i don't understand the difference um However, like if you expose a laboratory animal to any chemical or pharmaceutical in a high enough dose, it's going to mm-hmm. be probably toxic or, or, you know. So it depends like what the dose was when they were doing those te- that testing in laboratory animals and what's like the actual dose in food, right? Um, because if you think about it, like our natural waters are polluted. They're polluted with a bunch of things. Um, they have pharmaceutical compounds in them. But it doesn't mean that that level that you may get, I'm not trying to freak anyone out, but if you drink a glass of t- tap water and the concentration is so low of something, like it's extremely low, that's not going to be detrimental to you so it depends like what the exposure amount is as well Mm -hmm. as well as like the duration of exposure like how much red 3 is someone like taking in um so there's a lot of factors to consider which i think is probably why they didn't ban it in food yet
3: then why do they ban it in cosmetics like that's um that doesn't make any sense to me i mean food you're ingesting um this compound so that would be for a lot, you know simplistic terms more dangerous than uh, applying it on your skin in the form of a cosmetic so that I, i'm not sure if that I really don't understand that angle as to why it's banned in cosmetics, but it's still found in foods. I actually didn't even know, like I, I know red three, there was been a lot of talk about it and I thought it was banned in food. So I'm actually surprised at this or maybe that might've been in Europe. Cause I know they have stricter um, food safety standards there. So um, yeah, I'm actually surprised that red three is still in use in foods. And um, the fact that this, um, public interest group sent a petition to the fda it's uh, very telling and again they do have you know they've been working with scientists and they have uh, a lot of organizations behind them including the environmental working group ewg so again this is like these are very prominent respective agencies who, who know what they're doing and so there is definitely something there and definitely i mean if you're looking at lab studies involving animals it's it's a, it's a different ball game when you you know are going to humans of course we're looking at uh, comparing mice or rats to humans different physiology different everything and even if they are able to to emulate the uh, the doses and the concentrations um, in animals um, I'm pretty sure they probably looked at amounts found in foods and you know, gave those concentrations and amounts to animals. And they did see something adjusting again for things like weight and other factors. So maybe like, maybe they did, it seems like they did find something that, um, is, uh, is troublesome. And so that's why, um, again, and it's been known for a long time since the eighties, like that this compound might be carcinogenic. And so, Again, yes, exposure, duration, and time all of that matters. But uh how are you to control somebody who has candy with red three once in a while versus somebody who might have an addiction and might have like sweet tarts or taffy or nerds every day or every other day? So that's where um I think the foods public uh, health and food safety really comes into play because you can't really control people's behavior and so. It's, it's kind of an all or none um, with things that may even be a suspected carcinogen. So it's kind of like asbestos too, right? It's like, um, we talked about how like, John, we know Johnson Johnson's been facing uh, numerous lawsuits from people about, um, you know, having uh, asbestos in some of its baby powder products. And again, if someone is using it once in a while versus someone using it regularly, but the fact that there is a compound that has the potential to cause cancer or harm I think yeah that should be taken taken off the table in my opinion
1: yeah I was thinking uh you know maybe it was banned in in cosmetics because maybe uh like rashes were happening or 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 something that was more visible um you know to the naked eye was happening but I don't know if that's true I was trying to rationalize mm. it myself and think why yeah why would it be banned um yeah. in in cosmetics and the funny thing is it actually might have a use in cosmetics where you know in 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 blushes and lipsticks and things like that whereas food it cut, serves yeah, it's, absolutely no purpose right. <laughs> so it's like it's twisted to me um and and i think that's what really you know upsets me the most is that it it, there really is no purpose aside from to make the food more uh, appealing appealing, especially to children who love appealing colors um and i can tell you i'd still eat nerds if if they weren't red uh, I'd still eat a yeah. lot of those candles. Would you if they, if they were, were just like
3: white, come on. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I would. Honestly I would. I think um but I like I understand. It's a very, very long, you know, history of 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 branding that has, yeah. you know, resulted in the, the colors that these foods are. Like, it's its not just something they're going to get rid of. Um, but, you know, if anything does come from this, and let's say, you know, by some miracle that the FDA does actually ban Red 3 and maybe some other food colorings, this is a massive opportunity for, you know, the natural um, food mm-hmm. coloring industry, which which is, um, you know, it's, it's relatively small at the moment. And obviously yeah. we know why... Red three and other food colorings are used because they 're cheap and widely available, but you know I am hoping that the natural uh, food coloring industry will uh, get a little more attention mm-hmm. and um, and hopefully it's it 's going to start being more widely used but yeah, I really appreciate your both of your perspectives on, you know, both of these studies. Um, and because these are things that go a little bit over my head, not to say that I take them at face value, but you definitely help, uh, you know, indicate some of the, the, the missing pieces in, in some of these studies. Um, but yeah, I think with, with anything that is trying to emulate something else in the food industry, whether it be, you know, fake meat, or fake food coloring yeah they're a little bit of a cause for concern i think the moral of both of these stories is that eating whole foods is probably the best for us you know candy and uh and and a few other ultra processed foods in moderation are fine but yeah i think these these studies are at least a a jumping off point in uh in in sort of looking at how we eat um as as individuals and and as the world honestly Um, but yeah, really appreciate your, your inputs on both of those things. So thank you. Well, that is the end of this episode of the X-Talks food podcast. If you liked today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe.
0: Thanks everyone. And see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the X-Talks food industry podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues. And be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find Xtalks on social media, email podcast at Xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at Xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more.